2: On News Radio six eighty WPTF,
1: and I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner,
2: and I'm Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner, and we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. What's new in the world of financial planning at the office? Well, I know
3: Deborah. I've been receiving a lot of calls, just basically asking one question: if we've got something going on with the house and or home repairs, does it make sense to refinance now? You
1: know that question. Pops up more likely than you would imagine, and I'm thinking, Deborah, as you know, within the last two weeks we've had a particular issue with a client at a state now who suffered from the drought. That's right, and the drought was causing fi- uh, foundation. That's right. Something that's so unusual,
3: Yeah. you you don't usually plan for it. You can't typically insure against it. But now you have a situation where your home needs a substantial repair.
1: So you got the call. I did. To pass it on to me, what and where and how do we get about $15,000 to repair the foundation? That's right. And
3: we began by exploring, well, where is the current loan and where do we get this money? And do we take it from... Uh, emergency fund, do we take it out of our investments? How do we approach this? And it's such a good question for people, for our listeners. If you've had a situation like this, feel free to give us a call. But Doug, do tell us a couple of the thoughts that you came up with this week.
1: This was really interesting because this is a very diligent couple. I really enjoy this couple. You know, through the years, Linda, you and I recently have done uh, analyses of how many times we've taken diligent investors who do pay-yourself-first automatic investing and have become millionaires over their working years just by staying with it. And we've had the joy and the honor of watching many of those become millionaires.
2: Absolutely. Well,
1: this is a young couple who's on their way and they're very diligent. And so when the call came in to me from Deborah, Deborah and I brainstormed, and we said, well, look, we need to remember always focus on pay yourself first investing. Continue to accumulate. So let's take a look at it. Now, your home mortgage right now is, I think it was about, was it about $950 a month, as I recall, something like that for the mortgage payments. It was. And so the question was, what's the mortgage rate you're paying right now? And it wasn't bad. I think it was a four and a quarter, four oh, yeah. and a half percent, something like that. Mm-hmm. All right. I said, well, how much equity do we have in the house? And, of course, found out the house had probably $150,000 more equity. So I said, well, why not, instead of trying to figure out uh, if you're going to withdraw 15000 from your investments or whether you're going to go ahead and try and reduce your pay yourself first, let's see if we can make lemon into lemonade. Let's see if there's a way we can get it for free. And so, you know what we did? We contacted the... Well, several places, but primarily... Um but the first place was where the actual mortgage was held exactly and found out that they were more than willing to go ahead and refinance the home wrap the needed extra amount the extra 15000 into the new mortgage turned around and they end up cashing out they got money to do the home repair and they lowered their mortgage payment so that they could increase their pay yourself first amount. It really was a it was a win win situation by doing the by refinancing now, by wrapping the needed cash into the new loan, the new loan right, and by having closing cost wrapped into the new loan, and then cashing out that excess cash to pay for the home repair, the foundation repair. They got that done with no pie, no cost out of their pocket. And at the same time, they were able to increase their amount they were investing because they were reducing their total new mortgage payment from the old mortgage payment. Win win. Was that excellent. wonderful? It, it yes. really was.
3: And from every angle you looked at, you could see how diligence had really paid off for this couple. And
1: you know, they will make it. They will definitely. These will. These will be some of some of our winners.
3: And that's that's the beauty of the you know when life situations come up you never plan on something like your foundation cracking Mm-mm. you know you don't even really buy insurance for that it's and so un you know unusual. i agree Deb's,
2: and and that's why it is important to work with a competent financial planner that can help you go over the exercise of looking at the details of your situation and and then working through the numbers and seeing, is there a solution? And uh, what an exciting solution. It
1: really was. Uh, you it, know, Linda, really you're, a win-win situation. Well, you're absolutely right, because what the two banks that they had contacted before contacting us offered option one, home equity loan, option two, a HELOC, a line of credit. But nobody offered what we suggested. All of them offered ways that they would have to have higher payments than they're paying now, Instead, we found a way they could have lower payments and get the home repaired for free and go ahead and invest more towards their future.
2: That's a, what is it? Having a, your cake and eating it too? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> kind of situation. <laughs> You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. If you want to call us during the week to set up an
3: appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind.
1: I'm Mary, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, Deborah Lewis, and Linda Lewis this evening. How can we help you?
4: Thank you so much for taking my call. I have a quick question. Um, we have about 214000 left on our house. I'm 59. My husband's 61. And he's worried about his 401k. And the quick question is, should we take the money that we need when we have enough to pay off the mortgage in our house to go ahead and just pay that off? And take out plus what we owe in taxes on it, and um, is that
1: wise or not? Okay, no, that's that's not wise at all. That's about as wise as trying to do brain surgery on yourself, if I can use a crude example. Because Mary, if you need to get two hundred and fourteen thousand dollars to pay out your mortgage, pay off your mortgage, you're going to have to go ahead and take out maybe about two hundred and sixty or two hundred and seventy thousand yeah. dollars. Yes. And and th- that is really a very bad decision, in my opinion. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How old are you, Mary? Well, I'm
4: 59. 59. You're
1: 59.
4: He's worried about the value of the dollar.
1: Okay, the well, tell him not to worry about that. Tell him, let, let, let others worry about that. He should worry about his own financial independence and not the worry of the dollar. What we can do, though, is focus on his and your financial independence. How much is in the 401k?
4: Um, about four hundred and fifteen.
1: All right, all right. So there's four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in the four hundred one k. Are there any other retirement accounts?
4: Yes, I have a small amount. He has a pension also, with about
1: four hundred and fifty thousand. All right. So the pension is four hundred and fifty thousand. The four hundred one k is four hundred and fifteen thousand. And how much? And you said you have a, uh, a
4: small IRA. Have, mm-hmm. And how I much you with the county? I have. Oh, probably about
1: fifty thousand. Fifty
4: thousand. Two
1: cap. All right. Is there any other investments that are owned outside of retirement accounts?
2: Like any stocks or real estate? Uh,
4: no, no. We just have we have another house.
1: We have two. But accounts. but you haven't uh, you haven't um, accumulated any investments of your own outside of retirements. No. Okay. Well, you what you've told me is there's a total of nine hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. All right at the time that he retires, then all of this nine hundred and fifteen thousand will be able to be rolled over. Well, yours is already rolled over, but the, the together there'll be nine fifteen in retirement accounts in IRAs is where they should be. And at that time, you'll be able to give yourselves about three thousand a month, thirty six thousand a year. Now, what's your li- what what are you what's your lifestyle? How much do you? What are your expenses roughly?
4: uh just two mortgages and not a whole lot more than
2: that i mean is it like uh, 2000 5000 a month
4: or, or oh about 7 775 8000
1: a month all right then you definitely don't want to go ahead and deplete the assets cuz that's all that you've got to work with you should call my office and schedule an appointment to meet with me so that we can look at both mortgages both properties and the investment portfolios, and then I will show you the proper way to handle your world so that you can uh, become financially independent and you don't have to go ahead and give up what you've worked so hard to achieve and also give a huge amount to the IRS. You don't have to do that.
4: All right. Well, that sounds great. I would like to... Um, make an appointment at some time to call your
1: office. Yeah, jot down my phone number and you can call and Deborah can uh, set up an appointment and tell you what times are available and what our fees are. The number is 919-872-7000.
4: All right. Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome, Mary.
4: Okay, bye. Bye. Bye now. So
2: Doug, Linda, what's new in the world of retirement planning? An interesting article that I saw in the Wall Street Journal and the title was, The Economy Stole My Retirement. Did you see that, Doug?
1: I'll bet you a lot of people saw that article. That was a scary article, uh, but it represents the story of many, many entrepreneurs. This was uh, an article about entrepreneurs and their retirement plans being wiped out. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a sad story. But I, as I went through it and listened to it and, 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 and read it, I realized this poor guy, he, he needed financial planning along the way. Who remembers? What, what, what was in the article that well, took, you grabbed know, I you? Thought,
2: I thought at the beginning of the article, this this gentleman, he had built his company over the years. It was a catering company. And he dreamed of gardening, spending time with his grandchildren. But that to him was just a fantasy and in his situation retirement is out of reach at least for the foreseeable future because as a 62 as a 62 year old he all he you know in this article what he said was i am so tired
1: how and, old was he Six, 60, 60, 62 62 okay and
2: he said i don't know if i'll ever be able to retire
3: that's right and and i think the whole focus of the the article was basically about the peril for entrepreneurs in their 60s and 70s who just can't sell their businesses. And he was the owner and founder of a small catering company.
1: Is that what it was? That's I don't what remember. It was, it was a yeah. catering company. He, was
3: a, uh, he had started his own business and he was now in this dilemma I'd like to sell, I'd like to have my retirement, and yet here I am unable to sell my business. And just like a lot of entrepreneurs,
2: unable to sell it at
3: a price that would be. Comfortable that would let him quote unquote cash out. Okay. Unfortunately. So,
1: yeah, as I recall he started the business with about eight hundred thousand or more, and he wanted to sell it now for what was it two
3: eight hundred? Ma- 800- no, was- yeah, no. He only wanted to sell it for about eight hundred fifty thousand.
1: Is that what it was?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was about eight hundred fifty thousand. Okay. And um, so then that's what he said. He figured he needed to be able to you know eight hundred fifty thousand just to be able to stop
2: working. Oh, okay. And the dilemma is, you know, he's got 25 employees and, you know, according to his feeling, 70% of his nest egg is tied up in this company, but, um, and I was going to ask Doug, just because there are so many
3: people who are in this situation because this is a familiar situation to you. When that small business owner comes to you and they start saying, okay, I would like to get out, how do I even begin planning? Isn't that just the, the general question that most
1: entrepreneurs... I wish, I wish yes, Deborah, I, I, I wish I got that question 20 years ago when he was starting his business, if that' what it was, because there are certain principles that entrepreneurs should follow but 90% of them don't follow and they end up just like this poor guy here. Interesting, what are those? Principle number one is don't do what he did by reinvesting back into your business. If he had not done that, but you see so many entrepreneurs, they believe that they're infallible and so they plow all of their profits back into the business year after year after year and they leave themselves totally uh, vulnerable For an economic downturn. Exactly. If he had done what we have advised clients for many, many years, Linda, to suck out all of the potential profit, all of the cash, bring it out, bring it out every year, take it away from that company and invest it on the side on your own, then you have an investment portfolio outside of the company. Then, of course he would have been in a situation where maybe he had $2 million or $3 mm-hmm. million invested outside, mm-hmm. and he could go ahead and sell the company for, did he have a buyer for this company? Uh, he had two or three along the way, but I think they were just so
3: low, he wasn't even interested to sort of, you know, give up what he had put in his heart, blood, sweat, and tears into.
1: And See, isn't that sad? He was thinking wrong. He wouldn't sell it for, let's say it was a half million, somebody wanted. Something wouldn't. like that, okay. that's right. Here he could have had a half million dollars in his hands, and he thinks, oh my gosh. This is terrible because I put in 850. But if along the way he had accumulated a couple million on the outside instead of leaving it in the business, then it mean nothing to him. You sell the business for whatever you want. You don't need to and just let it go.
2: Exactly. That's
1: the big mistake that entrepreneurs make. They don't go ahead and draw out from the business along the way.
3: Don't trust these decisions to chance. Hire the right advisor. Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000, and let us help you create a sensible
1: plan. Second thing is you need to build a a model, a pay-yourself-first model of how that money comes out and how it's going to be invested on the side outside of the company. So uh, you do you you have an investment model that's working outside and in your investment model, you never invest in high-risk things like the business itself.
3: And I think that's where a lot of people get stumped is they think they're going to grow something that's going to eventually be sold as if it's going to be one large lump sum. He wanted to sell, uh, uh, let's just say it was a million dollars. So he's expecting one million back Mm -hmm. for his business Mm -hmm. and then having one million, which is going to represent his retirement, his retirement funds, and he's going to invest it now. Well, that... Investing along the way could have easily have added up to a million over the years and not be waiting to cash out your retirement fund.
1: That's right. Boomer entrepreneurs, they grew up believing in the American dream that you could start a business and eventually sell it for a good return or pass it on to your kids. Nothing wrong with that thought. That's right. The question is, what about the profits along the way? That that is the big mistake he made. Mm -hmm. You can sell that business or pass it on to your kids along the way. uh, At the end, but along the way, take out your profits and invest them in the on the side in things much safer than your business. So anyway, that was the story. Uh, I felt really sad when I read the article, but I hope that many entrepreneurs who are listening uh, will not make that same mistake and will seek competent financial advice. Your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
3: If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. Well, Doug, Linda, there was an excellent article uh, entitled, Should You Wade In with a, wi- with a Windfall? And it began by saying that, you know, usually at that point in retirement, you are considered someone who is at a, going to be investing a windfall, a large amount of money.
1: So here we're on the other side of the story, aren't we, Debbie? We are. Yeah, now we've got the guy, for whatever reason, he's got a lump of cash. Maybe he worked for IBM. Maybe he was one of these entrepreneurs and he sold that business and he only got a million dollars. That's a windfall. That is. Maybe he worked for IBM for 35 years. He took retirement. His 401k can roll over. He now has $800,000 rolling over from his TDSP. Maybe he won the lottery. Maybe there was an inheritance. But people who get a large sum have a big question to answer, and that is: Do I invest it all at one time, or do I invest it lump by lump, or piece by piece, by in piece, stages. in stages?
3: And to answer that question, how do people generally, you know, need need to answer it? It's really based on. You know, should they invest the money all at once or dribble? That's usually that question. And that answer in part depends on whether they are more concerned with maximizing their long-term returns or maximizing their short-term risk of losses.
1: You know, it's really interesting, and I was happy to see in that article, that the Vanguard study, which actually analyzed lump-sum investing versus periodic dollar-cost averaging – I was so happy to see that the answer they came up with was exactly what we have advised clients for more than 20 years now. And the answer was that studies show mathematically you're better off diving in. And that's because historically, the markets have gone up more than they've gone down. Now, you have to be careful when you make a statement like that. Okay. If you invest 100% of what you've got, In a venture capital deal, then probably it will continue to go down, 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 and you'll go broke. The
2: risk is higher. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. But assuming that you go ahead and you use a certified financial planner who is fee-based, such as we are, to help you design a balanced portfolio, putting your money in, in a lump sum, into that portfolio, and then staying with it all the way through, this is what the Vanguard study showed.
3: Yeah, so just playing the odds, you're better off getting the money invested right now because chances are prices will be higher later. And I think that was the one line out of the article that really stuck home you know, with me was is that it's just going to be for the long term the better choice to make.
1: I was interested in seeing how other countries fared in the same analysis, and they did mention that not only the U.S., But in the UK and Australia as well, in all three markets, lump sum investing would have outperformed dollar cost averaging two thirds of the time on average. Very interesting study. And uh, of course, like brain surgery, don't try it on your own, but definitely know that this is a much better way than trying to time yourself going in. Only time that dollar cost averaging always works is when. Pay yourself first. But when does it only work?
3: Oh, when the market's declining.
1: When the market is declining, right. when it's going down. Right. And these
2: these periodic investing uh, habits, well, it develops or it fosters healthy saving habits when you're younger,
1: right? That, and that is exactly right. In the early years, you should have these habits of investing on a regular basis because you don't have that lump sum.
2: And if our, our gentleman in the first article had done exactly that... It would have been a good way for him to invest relatively small chunks of money as soon as they became available versus, you know, waiting and having the dilemma of, you know, having it all stuck in the business. Right. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919 872 7000.
3: 919 872 7000.
1: Pat, how can I help you?
3: Yes,
5: uh, I hold a mortgage on my child's home. Okay. And.
1: And when you say you hold the mortgage, you are the lender? Yes. Okay.
5: And um, I was, I'm interested now in making out a will, and at the time of my. When my husband and I die, uh-huh. I would like that mortgage to be forgiven forgiven, not hmm. to be included in inheritance, any balance.
3: Do uh-huh. you
5: understand what I mean? Right. And uh, I would like to know how to go about doing that. I have no idea how.
1: Let me ask you a question first of all. How many children do you have, Pat? Two. You have two children. Yeah. All right. And how are you leaving your estate? Who are the? How, how does your will read right now?
5: We don't have one right now.
1: Ooh, bad Bad news.
5: That's why I'm trying to set one
1: up. Right very, very good, girl. That's a naughty, naughty, naughty. We should not be around walking around with no no wills today. Okay, especially, and you're very right because right now the laws of intestacy. Now, I presume you said you said we, so I presume you're married. Yes. Okay. Right now, the laws of intestacy would go ahead and govern your estate if you die but the first question comes how much do you own versus how much do your husband own do you want it all to go to your husband and then to your children and so forth if you die do you want the mortgage to continue to be paid to your husband yes all right so you don't mean at your death you mean at your husband and your death right okay you need to go ahead and set up first of all you have to have a will right second of all you do want to go ahead what's the value of your estate by the way but combined estate. Yeah.
5: Uh, it's over
1: 500,000 including life insurance. Yeah. Okay. The what you want to do first of all is you want to go ahead and have approximately half of your estate, half of your assets in your name and half in his name. And then it's all right to do an I love you will. If the, if your estate was higher, I would say it's not all right. But an I love you will is going to leave everything to your husband. And he can do an I love you will and that'll leave everything to y'all. I mean, he can leave an I love you will that leaves everything to you. Right. And then afterwards, you write in the will that if your husband or if your spouse, and he does the same, has predeceased you, then you do want uh, any mortgage debts that you have. And you can be very specific. You can specify that it be forgiven. If you don't. You're right. The value of that will come back, and half of that will go to your, one of your children. If that's, I presume that after your death, you want your estate to split, be split between the two kids equally? Right. Okay. Uh, you could, if you don't have it forgiven, then half of the amount that's still owing would go to your son, and the other half would automatically be forgiven. Right. So you, you can just simply write it into the will or have the attorney write it into the will, uh, but you do want to make sure that it's done properly.
5: Well, now the the mortgage is registered at the county, you know, just like a bank mortgage would be. Mm-hmm. The paperwork is. Uh huh. So what? How do they? At the time that my husband and I both die, do they take the will down there and say, "Okay, can we have the deed to our home now?"
1: Yes. In other words, it would be it, it, they. They would have to go through the process of having uh, having a clear deed of title. Right. And according to the provisions of the will, that's what a real estate attorney would be able to do for you at that time. I see. Because he would basically be marked uh, paid in full. I see. You see what I mean?
5: But there's then there's no taxes on that forgiveness. Is that correct?
1: Well, income taxes... A state tax. All right, let's think it through now. If they have... A debt forgiveness at that time. You know, that's an interesting question, Pat. Forgiveness of debt is considered income on your income tax return. On the estate, no, there's nothing. Hi. But, but at, uh, at the time that debt is forgiven, you report income. Hmm. That's an intriguing one. I don't know a way to get around the income tax consequences. In other words, how much is the mortgage right now? Right now, it's 43000 $43,000. Uh, you're going to die next year? I hope not. <laughs> okay. Well, if you, you, know, you live five or ten years, it's going to be a smaller and smaller issue. Uh, you'd also want to set it up, by the way, to where it would be a... In other words, if you died tomorrow, both of y'all were, you know, God forbid, killed in a car crash oh. tomorrow, then I believe that they would have to report, if you had debt forgiveness there, $43,000 of income on their income tax return. Mm-hmm. I would have to do a little research to find out if there's a way you can get around that. That's, that's the uh, part that... There would not be an estate tax issue.
5: There would not? No. Okay. No.
1: And it may be, if you call me at my office, I will put you in touch with an estate attorney that can research that for us. Do you have my office number? No, I don't. 872-7000. That's a very interesting question you're asking. It's the interaction between estate tax laws, income tax laws, and forgiveness of debt. And it's a very interesting question. It really intrigues me. If you'll call me at my office, I'll see about putting you in touch with an estate attorney, or I'll meet with you myself, and we'll see if we can go ahead and solve that one. All right. Okay, thank you for calling, Pat. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Well, Doug, Deborah,
2: um, that was an interesting question. And Pat and her husband certainly need an estate plan. And if you have questions about your estate planning, call us at Lewis Financial Management and we can assist you.
1: Yeah, before we go to the next topic, Linda, I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought it up that way because not many people understand that in our financial planning that we do at Lewis Financial Management, for every one of our clients that becomes a financial planning client, we include, without extra charge, a complete estate plan. Our estate plan will be not only... An analysis, it will be recommendations of what kind of trusts you need or don't need, and it will be a detailed estate plan so that the attorney does the documents, it's all ready for him. It's all been done. So, we include estate planning as a major part of what we do at Lewis Financial Management.
3: Well, you know, that's interesting because we often forget to highlight for maybe listeners who are listening for the first time that comprehensive financial planning is going to provide analysis and Uh, All of these key areas that we keep talking about. Yes, we talk about investments, but there's cash flow planning analysis, tax planning analysis, insurance needs analysis, investment analysis, retirement planning analysis. You know, can you retire? What's your financial independence feasibility? And just like Doug mentioned, estate planning analysis.
1: I think in my experience, Linda, it is The most common type of thing we see, the procrastinator. Everybody is going to be a going to do, going to do, going to do it, going to do it, going to do it. But they haven't done it. And I really liked the article in the Wall Street Journal that gave a to-do list about planning procrastinators. The first thing was with regard to wills and estates. Update or prepare yourself. Prepare your will, update your will, update your estate. I I liked that. I thought, (laughs) get it done.
2: Too many people make the mistake of waiting until they have a big life change, such as a new child, and waiting to update their will or their estate plan. That's right. And 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 you would be surprised how many senior citizens never drew up a will, and now (laughs) they realize it's time, so they put it on their checklist. So if you're out there listening, make sure that you take care of this. What, what is it that they should look at,
1: Doug? Well, you know, Lynn, it's a good question because not only big changes, small changes should trigger updating, like maybe a new bank account or refinancing your mortgage. That might merit a tweak to your estate plan. But start by looking at your beneficiary designations, making sure that your life insurance and retirement accounts are going to go to the intended recipients. I hate to say this, but maybe you got divorced. And you've still got an ex-wife or an ex-husband as a beneficiary. Uh, You need to sort of check on these things. A lot of times we see it when they come into their office. They say, gee, I never thought about changing that. All right. On the other hand, there is a sort of a checklist with regard to these items that you should have. You should have a financial power of attorney, definitely. Uh, And that should include... Uh, what happens if you become incapacitated? Maybe you need a uh, a revocable living trust. You should also have a medical power of attorney, which designates someone to handle your health care decisions. And if you already have them, you ought to make sure the designees are still physically and mentally up to the task and still want the job. And what about insurance policies? Well, everything changes with regard to insurance. It's very often that we find clients when they come into our office And we find that they have insurance either that is they're underinsured, they don't have enough insurance, or they're paying too much for insurance, or their insurance is way out of whack. Uh, You ought to go ahead and make sure that you have suitable coverage, first of all. And the way you do that is you do a mathematical analysis with the help of a certified financial planner. What are the needs? A needs analysis. That's right. Mm-hmm. Suppose that the client is coming into our office and the woman is making 250000 a year and the husband is making 10000 a year on a side job and the kids are out of the house. And we find there's a life insurance policy on the husband.
3: That seems really... Yeah, Uh, I mean, uh,
1: his death will cause her great grief. But no financial Actually, it'll reduce the expenses. On the other hand, if she dies, then we need to make sure that his needs are met. So we need to go ahead and analyze the needs first to make sure there's proper coverage. Then comes the question of, are you paying too much? What kind of insurance? First thing you ought to see is, Are we paying for whole life insurance when we could get the same thing through term insurance at half the price? So these are the kinds of questions you have to look at. And if you happen to have a variable life policy with interest rates so low, there's a chance that your policy right now isn't meeting the projected returns and could be in danger of lapsing. So these are the kinds of things to look at in analyzing your proper insurance coverage and your present policies.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, dougandlinda.com. Yeah, and in regard to investment accounts, what do you think are some of the things that people need to uh, attend to?
1: Well, you want to make sure that you're keeping up your contributions if you are doing so at the proper 401k level, IRAs, uh, if, you in, if you received a raise, for example, you may want to boost your contributions. You want to be careful, though, because there's always the question of do I go beyond the match amount or not? If you hit the big five zero this year, 50 years old, you can start making catch-up contributions to a 401k or an IRA. So, that's one thing to check on, the investments.
2: And for those uh, that are getting uh, nearing 70 and a half, what do they need to do, Doug?
1: Want to be doubly sure that you're going to that you're not going to have a problem with your uh, required minimum distributions. Now, what is
2: that? Well, everybody when they, you know
1: everybody when they meets when they reach 70 and a half years old, they can no longer leave money in or the IRA or the retirement account. I uh, and so if you can't leave it in there, then do you have to take the whole thing out and the IRS says no. Right. But you must take something.
3: That would be our re- your required minimum distribution.
1: Your required minimum.
3: And that's 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 figured on an annual basis, correct? It is. It's your required minimum
1: distribution this year. That's right. That's right. It's the minimum, and if you miss it, ooh. you do have a chance to get it by the next year.
3: Oh, okay, I thought we were going to talk about.
1: It. But you are right. The ooh is right, Deborah <laughs> Lewis. The ooh is very right because if you don't do it, there is not on ten percent. There is a is fifty percent penalty for not getting your minimum out. And so you have this age 70 and a half in which you must go ahead and uh, look for that required minimum distribution.
2: And so even you, yeah. even for, you know, uh, seniors are busy, you know, visiting their grandkids or taking care of health issues, it's important to make sure that you you've you visit this matter of your required minimum distribution. And
3: I was going to say, even if you're busy and you're still working and you know that this is upcoming, if you already know ahead of time that you've got, let's say you're, you're, you're healthy and, and you're still happy at work and you know this is coming, if you plan that ahead of time, then you'll know what to do with that required minimum distribution when it gets taken out and from what sources it's going to be forced to be taken out, which actually leads me to a question. If you're still working, do you have to take out a required minimum distribution?
1: You do if it's from an IRA. You don't if it's from a 401k. So if
3: you're still working and you're 401k, uh, and you're co- can you still contribute to your 401k? That probably ends at 70 and a half.
1: No, I don't think so. I think you can still make contributions to the 401k. Am I wrong?
3: I don't think you can. Um, I'm not sure, though, but that gives me something great to come back to our listeners and find out for sure for next Sunday.
1: Look at that. Linda Lewis, (laughs) your daughter, Deborah Lewis, told her dad she was wrong. He was wrong. And I think (laughs) I I think she's right.
3: (laughs) But if you are planning on um, or needing to have that analysis done, you need to get with a financial planner. There we go. And you need to know if this is going to be coming in the next year and a half. And because and as far as it.
2: cash flow planning, the you know that extra income, you're going to pay more taxes, right? So y- you want to revisit this, and if you need that extra cash, some most people don't need that extra cash, but if you 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 do need it, access it, or at least you know work with uh, your financial advisor and contact your retirement benefits uh, people to determine what that amount is going to be.
1: So we looked at starting with wills and estates, going to insurance policy updates, going to investment accounts, retirement investment accounts. Uh, There's also the matter of checking about your flexible spending accounts, remembering that if you don't use up the tax-free money in a flexible spending account by year end, you're going to lose it. So maybe it's time to get a new pair of prescription glasses or something To use up that money. Uh, The fifth item that I thought was really good was charitable and family gifts.
3: And that's always good to remember because what if if you're in that situation and lucky enough to have um, a stock that has appreciated and that you
1: can give to a charity? Now, how does that work? Anybody know how that works? That's a great idea. You want to make a charitable gift. And you have two ways to do it, three ways to do it. Number one, you take ten thousand dollars out of your bank account and give it to the charity. That's cash. Number two, you've got a stock, you An cash Appreciated it, stock. Yeah, you sell <laughs> the stock, get ten thousand dollars, and give it to the charity. Or number three, you give the stock to the charity. If you give the stock to the charity,
3: then then when I th- then then they would sell it. They pay the capital gains
1: and then And charities don't pay capital gains taxes, so and they get it free you, and you, you don't get, pay the tax.
3: And you would get the deduction.
1: You get the deduction. The charitable deduction. But if you cash in the stock, then you're going to pay tax on the gain and then give it the cash, then you, you get your deduction, but you don't have to pay the tax you can give the stock Very so if you are so if you've got an appreciated stock with a low basis that's the thing to give to Very a charity smart.
3: This is Deborah Lewis our number at the office is 919 872 7000 919 872 7000 Okay Bobby how can I help you Hi
4: Hi I have a friend who is in, in Georgia
1: Uh-huh
4: uh, she's a widow they have family business Uh, worth about a million and
1: a half. Double trust. Double trust. Oh, I like this one. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be fun. Tell me about it. All right. Now, this is neat. This is neat. But I warn you ahead of time, what you're doing now, you don't try this one on your own. I know. That's for sure. (laughs) This one needs to be done with a professional. Not many attorneys know how to do this. Not many accountants know how to do this. This is not a well-known strategy. Double unit trust. All right. It's not a unit trust at all. Okay. No. What we're going to do here is we're going to find a way to go ahead and avoid all capital gains. Mm-hmm. All right. How much, uh, give me some of her numbers. Uh,
4: sir, all I know is, is she's about one, about one and a half, the business.
1: All right. Business is about a one and a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. One and a half million dollar business. And I uh, have any idea how long she had the business?
4: Uh, oh, 20
1: years. Twenty years, so she's probably got a very low basis in it.
4: Yeah, what it is, uh, she, her husband was a doctor. Uh, he was killed. His son is now taking the practice over. All
1: right, it's a medical practice. That's the business. Right. You're gonna have to come in and see me before I I I, I, I give you a firm okay on this one. Yeah. But, I, but I'll tell. But I'll tell you this. In theory, it works like this. I'm doing one right now for some property. Real estate works wonderful like this. But and she a has small bunch
4: of houses. Huh. She has lots
1: of house. All right. Well, anyway, it works in theory like this. Let's say that theoretically she's got uh, uh, $50,000, maybe $100,000 of of cost in that $1.5 million business. Okay? Mm -hmm. That means if she goes to sell that business today, all right, she's got a $1.4 million capital gain. Okay? $1,400,000 times, and she's going to lose about $500,000 in capital gains taxes. So she's only going to end up with about $900,000. And the question is, is there anything she can do about it? Yes, there is. All right. She needs to do two things. First, we do what we call a wealth replacement or wealth preservation trust. She's going to give it away. She's going to give that business away to her favorite university or charity or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. By giving it away, of course, she doesn't have to pay any taxes. As a matter of fact, she gets a tax deduction if it's because it's a charitable institution. But she gives it away and then tells the institution that she gives it to that it's going to be given at her death and until her death, it's to be held in a charitable remainder trust. All right. Now, she gives it, but it's held in trust. At the same time, she sets up this trust with the help of an advisor like myself or someone that knows how to do this, and the trust is spelled out so all of the income in that trust flows to her for the remainder of her life. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Okay. All right. So now the trust is set up. Business is sold is given away to the trust. And the trust has instructions that any income in that thing flows to her for the remainder of her life. Now the buyer comes in. Buyer buys it not from her because she doesn't own it, buys it from the trust. All right. Buys it from the trust. And the trust now has the cash. Buys it for a million four. Instead of paying $450,000 of taxes or $500,000 taxes, there are none because the charitable trust pays zero taxes. Therefore, there's a million foreign cash in there now instead of 900,000. We take that million foreign cash and the trustee of this trust invests it. Let's say getting a 10% return. So now you got 140,000 a year income inside that trust. And what did we tell the trust that it had to do? What were the instructions?
4: give
1: it to her. And that 140,000 is a lifetime income to her. Okay? So now what's happened here? And let's stop and reflect. If she had sold it on her own and paid the taxes and invested the 90 the 900,000 in the same investments, how much would her lifetime income be? 10% of 900? dollars mm-hmm. it'd be 90,000. She's getting 140,000 instead of 90,000. All of a sudden this is much better. But her question usually is, wait a second. I got my income much higher what about my principal, right? What about the million four? That's gone forever, right? Yeah. And the way to do this now is we set up a second trust. We set up what we call a wealth replacement trust. And in this second trust, we go ahead and have this trust purchase a $1.4 million life insurance policy on her life. Trust owns it. Trust number two owns it. And where's the premium come from? Part of that $140,000 a year that's coming to her from the first trust She gifts to the second trust to pay the premium on that $1.4 million life insurance policy. Now what happens at her death? At her death, the $1.4 million that's in the Wealth Preservation Trust falls down and goes to the university. Between now and her death, she has $140,000 a year income. At her death, trust number two collapses and the $1.4 million life insurance policy goes over to her beneficiaries tax-free tax-free over there no capital gains the guy the buyer got his business everybody won only person that lost here is the Internal Revenue Service no capital gains tax
4: okay so that's a uh, charitable remainder trust
1: well what you want is a wealth preservation trust and a wealth replacement trust and you have to be very careful because the IRS will attempt to go ahead and show you can't have anything between your buyer and your seller and they're very specific rules you've got to follow and uh, you've got to have every T crossed, every I dotted. It's got to be done properly. If you call me at the office, I'll give you some uh, some more information on it because uh, it is fraught with a lot of obstacles. The first obstacle, of course, is she's going to be worried about, what do you mean? i got to give this thing away. Mm-hmm. So you, you're trying to find a way to maintain control after you give it away. Right. And that's a little tricky. You want to, the trustee, the investment advisor, uh, all of that has to be in place.
2: Our number in Raleigh is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA 7000.
4: Uh, you don't have to mention on there, but do you know anyone in the state of Georgia uh, that you would recommend?
1: I'm doing one right now in the state of Georgia. You are? <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll
4: give her your name and number.
1: (laughs) Okay. Thank you for calling, Bobby. Thank you. All right. I appreciate it. Well, since I have two ladies with me this evening, (laughs) I will go ahead and ask if anybody has picked up on the big article that has talked about the divide the great divide between men and women in the financial world, et cetera.
3: Absolutely. This is a huge topic from women of all ages, all financial backgrounds. And I would say even in our own family history, we saw two great matriarchs at the end be very responsible and have to manage their own affairs because just like most women, statistically, they
2: outlived their husbands. And, uh, you know. I would agree, De- uh, Deborah. Um, ma- many women, many women that are in families or that are working, uh, they focus on the here and now, and that's part of being responsible. And but what we find is that women are divided in caring for themselves and their families, and what happens is financial security. In many minds of many women that are out there working or taking care of families, financial security is being perceived as a future event. Very good point. But now is exactly when they should be looking towards the future and not waiting. Exactly. Or not panicking. You never know. Right. Your
3: life, you might begin the job and then take time off to raise children. But if you had the perception that your financial life began when you got that first job, when you graduated from college, whatever that first moment of awareness is and that became your now, then even if life affords you an opportunity to uh, move away, have a different career, have a family, add things, be in the workforce or outside the workforce, you now have flexibility instead of feeling so
2: inflexible. You know, I appreciate the title of this article, which was Financial Divide Without a Solid Financial Strategy, Women Are More Likely to Find Themselves or Their Families Coming Up Short. And, um, you know, it's interesting because the uh, the U.S. Uh, Department of Labor, they did some statistics, and, and there were four um, main things that came out at the beginning of this article is that, first of all, half of wage-earning women in the United States participate, or less than half, less than half of wage-earning women in the United States participate in a retirement plan. Number two, women on average work in jobs for less money than men so that will likely cause a potential income gap Uh, thirdly they generally live longer so they'll likely require more funds when they retire and fourth that will leave them with a potential retirement income gap
1: you know lynn i'm I'm really liking the way you're listing everything because in the statistics that were quoted, it said only one-third of women feel their retirement preparations are adequate right now. And so if that's it, uh, I think this is really a wake-up call. Women need to wake up. There was this one statement that I remember that said there's a disconnect between women's desire for financial security and their control of their financial situation.
3: and I think that's usually the, the 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 scenario that you're put in, which is dealing with the home mortgage or the lease payment or whatever it is, putting the kid through college, it is a skill set. So when people often call in and they say, "Oh, I, you know finances confuse me or money confuses me or investments confuse me. Within usually a time or two at the office, they realize how much they're not confused. They know that the basic premise is my living expenses need to be below my income so that I can have some savings so that it will cover me for the rest of my life. And if you need advice, call me during the week. 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
2: And that is so important. It's, you know, there are many times when the husband will say, Well, my wife, she just, she didn't want to come. But when they do come and the lights are going on, because they understand that's right, the basics and they want to be secure in the future. And, um,
3: On the one hand... I think that's where the the having security is having a financial plan. That's where you can provide comfort and security in knowing that if something unanticipated happens, you and your family may be afforded options that
1: may otherwise not have been available to you. You know, I'm remembering a very dear client, husband and wife, that came to see us probably over 20 years ago. And she was just as sharp as should be it could be. She had all the numbers and everything. And he was very, very trusting about the future and everything. Well fortunately, because she took control and got into financial planning When they came to see us last week, now he now has Alzheimer's. Yes. Early stage, very tender when they came to see us last week. Yes. But after all these years, her planning actually was the thing that made it so successful. I know inside her heart, she was wondering, what about pre-mortem planning? Are our estate documents ready? What happens if? And so forth. And all those life changes Right. They are crucial, aren't they, Linda? They happen. Yeah, they are right. very crucial.
2: Yeah. And um, women need to do planning. They, need, they are always spending their time taking care of family issues and uh, working, and many times, as the article said, uh, doing double duty. Well, I would say there's no difference. When you spend the
3: time on your financial plan, you are doing what you normally do on a daily basis, whether it's learning how to get the right amount of money to pay for the lease of the car or to finance the home or to do any of those things. That is financial planning. But a financial plan that's well put together, well followed, will definitely take care of the times when
2: life is uncertain, when you don't know and, when, and it and when takes can, away many of the overwhelming fears exactly. about the future, and it gives women and their families the the space to begin the healing process without the fear of a radical financial shortfall. Exactly, just like this lady
3: who came in, and 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 we were all you know quite teary that you know she had done such a good job that now when she's physically even having to take care of her husband, she had financially taken care of the family, and here they. Here they are at a. Le- at,
1: you know, at I think many people confuse money management with financial planning. Perfectly said. Financial planning has much to do with things that are not investments. It has much to do with planning for life changes, planning for uh, disability, planning for uh, all kinds of things that that occur that are well outside the world of just pure money management. So, so it's a.
2: A critical step in creating your plan is working with a trusted financial professional, someone who can help you look at your current financial situation holistically and discover any gaps and help you decide which financial strategies and products have built-in flexibility and address your life's evolving stages.
1: And I think I hear the music.